TalkZone.com. Now, TalkZone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. All right, welcome everybody. TalkZone.com, two guys that might thank you so much for joining us here on a not-so-beautiful Tuesday in the fine city of Chicago. The big dog and the coach at your service right up until 11 o'clock talking sports and more. Of course, don't want to forget our producer on the other side of the glass, David Olson. He will be with us through this 58-minute and 26-second journey that we tend to do each uh, and every weekday here at thetalkzone.com. little March Madness talk today, but we'll get off the basketball, bring up some other things. Let's enjoy the rest of the music, and then we start talking. Yes, indeed. We'll take a little bit of a break from basketball today, but uh, just a little. We'll, we'll still bring up uh, the Sweet 16, and don't want to forget that they... Yep. Wasn't that the Monty Python that had the Knights of... Yep. Actually, the Knights of Knee. Knee? Knee. Was it, I. Was it spelled N-I-T? It could be. Okay. The Knights of for the, for the, Yeah, for the purposes of this conversation, <laughs> sure. Thank you very much. There's still the NIT tournament going on. We do not want to forget the young ladies out there, the women's collegiate basketball tournament. They are down to the uh, Sweet 16 as well. Got a couple more coaches fired. Got a couple more coaches hired. So we'll talk some basketball, but we got baseball news as we're within, uh, what, a couple of weeks? Hard to believe. A couple of weeks till opening day. In fact, here in Chicago, this is a typical opening day of baseball. Everybody gets so excited to get tickets for the opening day. Oh, all excited. More often than not, you will show up to opening day, and there's always the excitement, of course, and the adrenaline kick of the beginning of the season. But more often than not, you show up to the opening day baseball game, and it's like 41 degrees out and raining with a little bit of snow flurries mixed in and throw some wind in there. And, you know, you can have a great uh, time at the old ballpark. Do you freeze your rear keister off after about two and a half innings? But that's what it is. We're about a couple of weeks away, hard to believe, and that's exactly the way the weather is here in the city of Chicago. But we'll uh, little sneak peek, a little spring training, see any baseball news that needs to be brought up. We'll revisit the NB of A. Haven't talked much NBA basketball of late. And uh, we'll mention the NFL lockout very little, but there is one NFL rule that I'm going to bring up with the big dog, Joe Edwanski, a very interesting rule that has to do with the special team. So we got all that and more coming at you. Our phone number wants you to join us here, of course. We welcome your phone calls, your comments at 888-463-6748. Big dog and a coach. And right now, let's check in. Uh, He's not here. We'd much rather have him in studio, but... The next best thing is talking to him over the phone. My good friend, my good partner, the big dog, Joel Redwanski. Big dog, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing doing very well, coach. And you know, I like to pat myself on all different types of places. Yes. But I'm gonna I'm gonna pat myself on the back immediately. I'm not kidding. Yesterday, uh, well, I had the day off. It was Monday, and you know, I'm uh, like chilling on the couch for just a, a split second mm-hmm. because the nurse was out here making sure everything was done with me. It was really nice. Okay. And immediately, though, like the NFL is considering moving the 
the kickoff up to the 35-yard line. I am not kidding you because they put the text on the bottom while they were saying it. Before the person said it, I'm like, they're screwing the Bears. They can't let this happen. I mean, it took me that long (laughs) to figure out it was a bad rule against the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I knew that that rule would get you started because you're a longtime special teams type guy. You live your life uh, even beyond the football field as a spectator and a player. You've got that special teams mentality. So Without without a doubt. Yes. I was the type of guy who, as a senior captain, tight end, leading the conference in yards, all that stuff, I was like, my last game, I begged, put me on the kickoff yep. team. And they did. They're like, all right, I'm going to go out there. So finally, like my senior year playing tight end, I'm running kickoff team down my last game. Mm-hmm. How many other people asked to do that? Yep. Two-way player, you know, Radwanski, we got to rest him at least on special team. Nope. Do not do that, coach. I want to be out there on the suicide squad. But they continue. Now, this rule hasn't passed yet. But they continue to diminish the, uh, the, the vicious contact that can be part of special teams. You remember a couple yeah. of years ago, Big Dog, they took the wedge away from what, five players to three? Two. It's down to two, coach. Down to two. Yeah, you can only have two. And they're really strict about it. Mm-hmm. They're really strict. There isn't no like fine line, oh, might be, might not be. If three people run shoulder to shoulder together, that's a 15 yard penalty. Mm-hmm. Boom. Right where it happened. And you, you really can't even use the term wedge if you're talking two people. No, you can't. No, they, but, yeah. it, but I gotta tell you something though, coach. If you're only gonna hit one person and you don't need more than two people to create a really, really, really good wedge to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. If you do it right, you only need two. So. So similar to fourth or fifth grade when you used to pull the wedgie, it is the quality of the wedge. Not so much the quantity. It's not how many people are. Better to have yeah. two or three guys that just knock you off your socks than five big dudes who look good and never hit anybody. Yeah, you know what? You might be able to get the waistband all the way up to the back of the neck. Yep. Okay? You might be able to hang the kid up there for a second or two and drop him. But if you do that in his house with nobody around, it isn't quite as good as getting the wedgie crammed mm-hmm. up there and making him get up on his toes yeah. for a split second when he's in front of three <laughs> girls and one that he happens to like. Location, so, location, location. One wedgie obviously <laughs> superior to the other. But the location of the other one makes yes. the other one definitely. Yeah, I'm with you, Coach. Yeah. I understand. Uh, now, along with that rule, now let, let's bring up what we're talking about here. And, again, we'll lead off with this particular topic. I knew it would catch your uh, particular fervor and uh, any NFL fans out there. We're not going to talk so much about the lockout. But this is a rule change that will affect the game. Positive, negative. 888-463-6748. Correct me if I'm wrong, Big Doe. They're talking about moving the kickoffs up to the 35-yard line. Yeah. Which will mean more touchbacks and, in addition, rewarding, encouraging the team to use the touchback because now the ball will be put at the 25, not the 20. Do I got that right? Okay. Yeah, I haven't sure. If that, see, that was that was like the addendum. Like, we might pull it out to the 25 if there's if – there's, uh, a touchback. So yeah, that's going to encourage teams to kneel it down. I don't want that. I, I love the astronaut kickoff teams. So I, I don't get it, Coach. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get well, it. Well, you do understand the reasoning behind the rule change. If they, they do They in- want less kickoff, basically. Well, but for what reason? For less injuries. Yes. It's all about protecting the players, all the concussion information that has come out. You know, most recently, the death of Dave Dewerson related to that. So they're getting very sensitive to that. And in addition, they are, I think, specifically now in the rule book, there's going to be six or seven very specifically laid out situations where it's an unprotected player, unprotected circumstances, and the tackle that you can make 
or the contact you can make on unprotected players will be not eliminated, but will be strictly eliminated. Uh, strictly eliminated. They don't put the defender in bad situations either. That's such a fine line, coach. You know, you know, we got, we've got into it over this. And yes. You keep on saying, I don't understand. And I'm trying to tell you, you don't understand. Trust me. I, I'm all about the protection of the players, but I, I don't like some of the penalties that they called last year when defenders were in absolutely no win situations. And they were, there was penalty calls on them. We'll be quite honest with you. If I was in their shoe, I would have absolutely no idea what I would have done in that situation. You basically can't even hit the guy and let him keep on running. That, that's the only thing is there's way too much fine line in that particular call. Mm-hmm. I, there really is, Coach, and, and it's too bad. I kind of like the post, look at it afterwards and be like, you know what, we should find the guy. Or we shouldn't find him. But to call penalties and games and call stuff out when a guy could just be running up to break the ball up, next, you know, a wide receiver flies in front of him, catches the ball, and he drills the dude. Everyone's like, well, he was defenseless. Well, yeah, it's a split-second play, and if you hold up, if you slow down, you're the one who gets hurt. And, and trust me, that always happens. Well, no, Whoever but, stops playing gets hurt. But it's not that hard, Big Doe. You're making it and out tougher. It is that hard, well, Coach. Let me, let me explain. It's not that hard because if you're going for the ball, we don't have a problem. The hits that, that where you and me disagree is when the defensive back separates, you know, drills the receiver upon contact, and the announcers are yelling, what a great hit, and teammates are slapping him high fives and high fives. And I would say, no, if you're not going for the ball and the guy cannot see you in his vision, that's an unprotected hit. That would be one of those ones that I think should be penalized for the safety of the players. There's just too, there's just way too much of a fine line. You know, I don't like it. I don't like how many wrong calls are there? Like, there's some obvious ones, but there was it was the fine line ones where you're ripping Jerome Harrison in, in our previous argument over this. Where to be quite honest with you, the guy was just playing the game of football like he'd been mm-hmm. taught since he's been in seventh grade, mm-hmm. and be, I didn't think he did anything that was malicious. Now, like what Brandon Merriweather did to Todd Heath, that was ridiculous. It was a joke that should never happen on a football field ever again. Okay, without a doubt. You don't just line somebody up, but somebody has the ball and they're running at you and you just happen to unload on them and when you hit them, they, they become unconscious. That's not your fault, coach. If somebody has the ball, I don't think the rules yeah, are trying to prevent that. That's not but, the problem. But that's, but Jerome Harrison got fined for two hits this year when the guy was carrying the ball. The Mohamed Masakwai and Joshua Cribs. Well, how, both of those hits this year, they had the football. Harrison hit them and let's just say it straight out. It was a vicious, violent hit. But he was playing the game of football. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing anything outside of well, the when you, when of you say had the football, did he have it for like a second or two? He started to run with the ball, or was well, this okay, well, for like a brief half a second? I had like two steps with it after catching it, yeah. and then Jerome Harrison drilled him. Okay, mm-hmm. they, get, they find him thirty thousand dollars for it. And Joshua Quibbs was running the reverse. He cuts back and turns around, and Jerome Harrison was trailing him and runs right through him. And he happened to go helmet to helmet mm-hmm. at him, which I don't know what he was supposed to do with dive at his knees. And then he gets fined fifty thousand for that, just because it was an unbelievable hit. Oh, and by the way, the NFL put up pictures of that hit on the NFL dot com webpage and was selling them while they find the guy fifty thousand dollars for the hit. Don't forget about that part of it either, Coach. Mm-hmm. There's there's such they're, they're hypocrites over there at the NFL. These same people that are complaining, oh, we're going to find this person for this illegal hit, even though really can't, we can't define it. Oh, by the way, we're going to sell pictures of it and uh, make sure we profit off it. Oh, and by the way, those players are going to make sure we give them as low of uh, insurance and benefits as we possibly can. We but appear- we're doing it all for the safety of the players. They're a bunch of hypocrites, Coach. <laughs> 
We appear to have touched the nerve with the big dog, and, Joel. And coach, you, you, you really have. And when we argue this, yeah. and sometimes you're like, you don't understand. It really bothers me because these guys are playing football. And so many times the guys with vicious hits, oh, he's, he's, oh, he's an assassin. He's doing, I don't know what else the other choice these guys had. And trust me, when you wind somebody up when there's no need to, legitimately no need to, mm-hmm. I'm with you on that one. I'm with you more than a hundred, more than you would probably ever even guess. But okay, if a well, guy's then... about to catch the ball and you're running at him and you hit him and all of a sudden you get a foul, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Just boost you quit playing the game. Well, we we might agree more than you think because that's my basic thesis: is you don't if if you don't need to make a violent hit if a tackle. Or a simple block to uh, defer the player from getting to the runner will do the job from a blindsided player. Then that's where the penalty should occur. If you don't need to, I'm not explaining that well, but in other words, like let's say a lineman um, is chasing after a runner, but he cannot see a defensive lineman, and then the offensive lineman comes in from the blind side and takes him out. Which I probably did in my college yeah. career in the three years of playing tight well, end. Well, my point would, would hope, be, you I don't would hope more than once a quarter. But I would you put don't. You, you, this is just an example. You don't need to blisteringly take him out and give the guy a concussion. You simply block him. He's away from the play. You square up. You block him. You keep him away from the play. You've done your job, and the guy still is able to play the rest of the season. He because he couldn't see you in his blind side. A receiver coming over the middle and the ball was thrown a little bit high, and he reaches up in the air, and instead of wrapping and tackling him, you forearm shiver him and drill him, and his neck snaps back. To me, that's unnecessary contact, because you could have made the same play by just tackling him and separating him from from the ball. Okay, Coach. You, you, we are pretty close on this. But yes. I, I just don't like the fine line of how do you actually define everything. Okay, so I don't want to get too technical on okay. this. But I, but I will tell you this: the the chain we we've I've mentioned this before on the show, and you agree with me on that before. What football needs is a change in philosophy, where the ball is the most important thing on the field. Mm-hmm. Like this, it might sound a little crazy. I might be going way out there, but legitimately, like if a running back is running with the ball, your target should be the football and not the running back. In some weird way, you go after the ball. Instead of after the man. So while you're tackling him, instead of doing the forearm shiver trying to take his head off, mm-hmm. you're actually ripping at the football yeah, the whole but time. I, but so I, like, I've rarely seen a hit that I think is is dirty or or um, preventable when a running back is running with the ball and a tackler tackles him. There's hardly ever a complaint well, on that. You see some tremendously coach, hard hits, and those are good, solid hits, and you cheer for those great shots by the defense. So I think. Well, we really got into it. Remember when I started yelling at you when Robert the Rain Man McEwen was in in the studio? And that was over. Joshua Cribbs running the reverse. And he cut back and stopped and Jerome Harrison ran in. He was running with the ball for 30 yards Mm -hmm. by the time Jerome Harrison. I mean, he had only been like four yards downfield, but it was after the reverse. And you, it was dirty. It was, it was horrible. All well, he did what was, was chase dirty down about a running back, and the and the guy with the ball stopped and cut back, and he just happened to hit him helmet to helmet, and he got fifty thousand oh. dollars. That's as much as like 
somebody with a good job in the United States will make. Sadly, I still have short-term memory loss, and I do not remember that discussion. So, By the way, Cribs, he, honestly, though, he almost killed Joshua Cribs. I'm not right, kidding but, you. But, the hit's one of the most vicious hits you will ever see. But well, And they were making him out as the criminal. And, Coach, as I watched that, as somebody that I really think knows the game of football, I don't think uh, Drum Harrison did anything wrong. He did zero wrong. Yet he got fined. That's, that's what I've... Right, let me, let me recreate the play in my mind here. Cribs takes the ball on a reverse. How okay, long? I imagine he's going left to right in how, the backfield. Left okay. to right. Okay. How long has he been in the reverse mode? Um, when after he had had the ball, he caught the ball. He had the ball about five yards deep, right over the center. Okay. okay. As he's moving left to right, so he gets about six yards off tackle and is hitting with, upfield. Wait, with the ball. With the ball. So he's taken six, seven, eight strides with the ball. Easily, easily. All right, now linebacker Long Harrison. Harrison is on the, he's the backside linebacker. Where okay, so he's chasing him from. He's chasing okay. him from behind. And now, yeah, he's chasing him now. Okay. And as Cribs gets about a yard to two yards downfield, he is met by a stealer, and he stops and plants with his left foot, his inside foot, and spins inside. And as he's spinning... Jerome Harrison, who went flat and trailed the play right down the line, uh-huh. you either trail it right down the line or you sink. Well, unluckily for uh, Joshua Cribbs, he was he was uh, trailing down the line, and Jerome Harrison ran flat down the line and boom, blew him up. Yeah. You you were irate about it, said he didn't have to hit him that hard. And what are you talking about? That guy, no, 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 no. Coach, we got that... into an argument over this. No, play, you're by missing the way. you're missing something in the description. Where where did he get fined? Did he go helmet we to got helmet? Fined because when when Cribs cut back yeah. and rolled inside, yes. they met helmet to helmet. Did, oh, so he led it, with it his... wasn't like Joshua. I mean, it wasn't like Jerome Harrison was chasing me. Like, all right, I'm going to put my helmet on his. He just was running to the tackle, mm-hmm. and Cribs stopped and cut and spun. And next thing you know, they hit helmet to helmet, and it was it was unbelievable. I don't know who you had that season. argue with. Maybe it was another guest you, host. But we the, have it. On, we have it on film, by the way. The way it was described. I'd like to see that film because the way you have <laughs> described it. And again, I sadly, David Olson, uh, producer extraordinaire, man, has taken a few hits of his own, even though he's never played football, but he's been married for uh, a number of years, so he's got some minor concussion situations. Do you remember that particular discussion? I, I, or even the play that we're talking about? I remember the play, and I, yeah, you, I mean, you guys went at it for about 15 minutes. Really? You did. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, the, Robert McEwen had to break us apart. Man, it's a little scary. It was the first that, time we had ever actually been angry at each other, I think. Yeah, normally, angry. normally the closer that we get, the happier that we are. But this was a situation when uh, we got a little bit too close. We had to be pulled apart. Yeah. I, I challenged your manhood, as a matter yeah. of fact, during part of it. You don't yeah. remember that? Why not? No, I don't. Wow. I mean, I was really hard on you, Coach. I was upset. All right. I'm glad you don't remember that, to be quite honest, so, with you, because I felt a little bit bad about it afterwards. Uh, but it is I was on like, film. Man, you really the... went off on coach, and I was like, yeah, I did. I felt bad. <laughs> but I didn't feel as bad as Joshua Cribbs, who was unconscious on the field with his arms straight up because he was stiff right. and didn't gotta... know where he was for a week. If I YouTube that play, can I find it? Period. Uh, right. Immediately. Okay. Jerome Harris and Joshua Cribbs put those four words in. Jerome Harris. All right. We will talk. We'll continue this discussion tomorrow. As uh, hopefully my short-term memory uh, loss will uh, be limited, and I'll be able to recreate that particular play. But more importantly, you uh, don't like the spe- the new potential special teams rule, where basically we're going to see less kickoff returns and less punt returns too, right? Because well, no, no, this has nothing to do with the punt return. Well, but won't guys in the end zone be more apt to down it now because the ball comes out to the twenty-five, not the twenty? No, no. As soon as 
Hold, hold up a second. Does that have anything to do with the punt teams, Coach? So punts that go in the end zone come out to the 25 also? I don't think that has anything to okay. do with it, Coach. All right. Okay, I really don't think but so. But it, it is one of the more exciting plays in football, the kickoff return. And, and, of course, from a Chicago Bear aspect, we have arguably, maybe not so arguably, the finest kick returner in the history of football, Big Doug. So timing-wise, it's not a great time to put that rule in. Yeah, uh, no, I, I'm with you. I, I'm for, As a Chicago Bear fan, and don't forget, not only do we have Devin Hester, we have Johnny Knox, yep. Daniel Manning, uh, uh, the Earl Bennett, all these guys have returned kicks for touchdowns since they've been in the NFL. Okay, so they've got a lot of weapons that can take it back. We need to kick off, move back to like to the goal line is what we need as Chicago Bear fans. Mm-hmm. Okay, because the special teams have always been good with the Chicago Bears, so we do not need any phase of the game eliminated from the Bears. It would be like eliminating the wind blowing out for right-handed batters at Wrigley Field for the Cubs because that's the only strength they've ever had in the last 100 years. I'm not sure if the owners are considering that rule change, but uh, you never know. That might be one of the things they bring up at next year's winter meetings. And, and, and Coach, I know you drive the show. I'm just here to give you reactionary radio. We all know that. Anybody who listens to the guys in the mic. But i got to be quite honest. Don't even bring up the lockout. I could care less. Yes, I'm with billionaires you. and billionaires. I, I, honestly, and just a, a word of advice to all those guys. I, I love football. It's my favorite sport. I absolutely adore football. If you don't play for football next year, I can care less. I'll do something else in my life. I'll watch college football. Mm-hmm. I can go without football for a year or two. So mm-hmm. if you guys don't want to play, if you don't want to make millions and billions of dollars, we don't need you. And I don't need to hear about, oh, we, we're getting closer. The impasse on Wednesday was, oh, oh, I don't care about any of that stuff. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, com- and, and get these guys insurance, by the way. Get them insurance. That's the only thing I do care about. Okay. I am completely with you on that, and I was not going to bring up the NFL lockout at all. I'm Good. with you Good completely coach. on that. NFL draft day coming up, though, Big Dog. I know you've been watching uh, tape, analyzing a lot of our experts out there, looking at the wide receivers, the running backs, the quarterbacks, the uh, pretty boy skill position player. Big Dog, you've been breaking down some of the – O-linemen, some of the defensive linemen, some of the big uglies, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Any names out there or any things we should be looking for? Footwork, a good base, nice quads. What should we be looking for if our team is looking for a uh, a good big man to help out in the trenches? Well, well, you know, diehard Chicago Bears fan, follow them inside now. The Bears need offensive linemen, particularly a tackle and a guard. The Bears need defensive tackles badly, badly, and they also need corners. They need cornerbacks. That's cool. And they also need a power running back is what well, the Bears need. Those are like the four things that are most needed. So I'm glad you asked me about the big uglies right up front, Coach. This is a great year for defensive tackles. My goodness. If you get you can get the 10th best defensive tackle on the board, mm-hmm. and if you shine the guy up right, he might end up being one of the best players in, uh, in this draft. What, is, what does that mean, shine? The, what does that mean, shine? The, coach him up? Yeah, coach him up and, okay. and maybe – you find out that maybe this guy was playing a different type of technique in college than maybe another defensive tackle. So one guy was able to blossom. You know, if you're playing the, if you're playing the, the I'm not com- comparing defenses, okay. But if you play defensive tackle for the old Greg Blosh scheme, your job is to absorb linemen. You might not make a tackle all game long and yet dominate it. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, remember the gap control deal with Greg Blosh. Mm-hmm. Then if you're playing the Lovey Smith uh, penetration type defense, mm-hmm. you might be splitting gaps all day long, and you you have no responsibility whatsoever as a defensive a tackle. Mm-hmm. So you're making tackles in the backfield, and and right. you're making all kinds of plays. And actually, you know, so a guy playing a, a two gap scheme, 
drafts that guy, the penetration guy, and all of a sudden they ask the same guy, like, oh, make sure you absorb the guard and, and get double teamed by the center. And the guy's like, what? And he can't do it. So that, that's the thing, Coach. You've got to really make sure that what they do in college translates to what, they can, what you're asking them to do in the NFL. That's a good point. Good specificity. Based on your description, I should not have given up my brief my brief tackle football career in the uh, middle of my seventh grade year because I wasn't very good, Big Doug, but one thing I could do defensively as a defensive lineman, I got absorbed extremely. I could absorb offensive linemen like you've never seen. Well, okay, there's – Coach, uh, I, I don't want to hurt your feelings <laughs> enough, but sometimes the, the guys with a lot of ass absorb much more blocks. Okay. And it's better to absorb the block one yard in the team's backfield than okay. it is five yards in your defensive backfield. Ah, I knew you there was see a that's catch. The difference. I knew there was a catch. I'm not just saying get blocked on purpose. You realize yeah. that when I'm because that's what that would be cracked. Every all of us up and Greg Wash yeah. would talk about his defensive scheme. We're like, what mm-hmm. are these guys supposed to get blocked? We don't understand it. <laughs> you know, it's like when the Bears would be bad and he would describe the stuff, it would never make sense. Oh, he was he was a great interview. I yeah, can listen was, to that guy. He would say stuff, and you would just shake your head after, yeah. like, what the heck is he talking about? Oh, yeah. His verbiage was outstanding. He was candid. He was humorous. And most of the time, you were a little bit confused what you were uh, what, what you were actually listening to, but uh, he was entertaining. Yeah. Remember the years of him and uh, Ted Washington and Keith Trailer? Yep. They would dominate, Coach, and they would have, like, at the, like, at the end of the season, between the two of them, they'd have seven tackles. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but you just knew that when they were on the field, the other yeah. team didn't do anything. So, Both of them, big 350-pounders. One of the greatest uh, football plays of all time was when Keith tracked her trailer, intercepted the ball, raced to the 40, to the 50, to the 40, the 30, and then he's starting to lose steam. You remember that? Yes. And he's, it was like a car running out of gas at the 28, the 25, and he kind of, I don't know if he got ridden out of bounds or he went out of bounds voluntarily. But Well, uh, well here's what happened, Coach, and, and I'm going to, before we move to the professional hoops and, and Derrick Rose, if if there's a fat guy on your football team, kids, and he starts running with the football, and you can laugh hard enough while he's running with it <laughs> and still keep up with him, instead of getting in front of him and leading him into the end zone, peel back and run backwards. So if anybody's chasing him from the other team, you can mm-hmm. block him. There was nine bears in front of Key Trailer, none behind him on that play, Coach. <laughs> so, honestly. And, and, uh, That's a good Jack point. Caught up. Yeah. If, if Brian Erlacher would have stopped <laughs> and just turned around, he, the guy, the, the Jacksonville yeah. Jaguars chasing him, he could have blocked him. That's such a great point. Trailer could have walked in the last like 10 yards. We're all trained to getting ahead of the runner lead block. Uh-huh. That's part of your mentality as a football player. you got a 350-pound guy running with the ball. Forget about getting ahead of him. You're exactly right. Get behind him and look for the people chasing him from behind. Good point. But, Where were you about 12 years ago? If one bear would have backpedaled. That was 10 <laughs> years. I mean, that was 2001. That was yeah. seriously one of the funniest plays in the history of the Bears. If yeah. he would have got in... We would we would set highlight once a month. Oh goodness. Okay, yeah. well enough of the enough of football, coach. Uh, but you did get me all lathered up because now we're going to yeah. talk about one of the best teams in the NBA. I'm hoping. Well, I enjoy getting yourself lathered up. You said early in the morning that the first thing when you came on, you've been patting yourself on the back all morning. No, not so, just my back. Well, yeah, all your different body parts. Now you got yourself uh-huh. lathered up. You sound like to me like you're having a hell of a morning over there. By the way, have you talked to our Irish uh, reporter Pat McGroin yet? I haven't talked to Pat McGroin. Okay. Because St. Patrick's Day, typically we hear from Pat McGroin, but uh, this year he did not check in. I was a little worried. Maybe I was hoping you had talked to him. Uh, no, Coach, but uh, 
First time I we talked to him, I was introduced to him. He said, Pat McGraw, and I said, Pat, your own. Well, he did He did change his address from a P.O. box in Beverly to a, to a gutter somewhere in Hawthorne Hills. <laughs> yeah, why not? All right, 888-463-6748, big dog and a coach. Nonsensical sports talk here from 10 until 11 o'clock. We'll take no, we're a making sense, by the way. Thank you very much. Take a sneak preview at the March Madness and the Sweet 16, but we'll get into that more. Tomorrow we've uh, ignored the NBA a little bit, Big Dog, with all the March Madness and college basketball talk. But our Chicago Bulls, uh, while we've been ignoring them, they're now the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. There's been a bunch of trades going on. The uh, San Antonio Spurs, the Lakers, continue to roll out west, as do the Mavericks. But uh, your thoughts a little bit on the NBA scenario, if you will. And, of course, you got to be happy with our local Chicago Bulls. Yeah, if I just touch on the Bulls first. Uh, last night I was I was informed by uh, one of my producers, Cloudy, that uh, uh, the Bulls were talking about, hey, if we get up 30 on the Kings, we're going to try to make it 40. When we make it 40, we're going to try to make it 50. Because what happened last year is what they were up by 30. Next uh, thing you know, they lost by 35. And that's sure. no was, joke. was that last year or a couple years ago? Whatever. It was last year. It was last year because it was yep. Tyreek Evans' rookie year. That Because remember, Evans won. He, he scored like 40 points in like 20 minutes last we year. We had, had like a 35-point lead in that game. Yeah, and and then they lost by 35. It was that big of a swing in one game. It was it was ridiculous. It was Vinny Del Negro's hair. I think the if you watch that game, the part was on the left side at the start of the game. His hair blown hair. At by the end of the game, the part was completely over on the other side. Actually, he didn't even have a part. He had lost his hair. <laughs> well, no, it was the second largest swing in a basketball game in the history of the NBA. Yep. So yeah, it was it was a choke artist. Well, yeah, last night they get it done. They go up 30, and they eventually make it 40, just like they said. And the most important thing was Derrick Rose only played 28 minutes, didn't play in the fourth quarter. Carlos Boozer's got a little bit of an ankle. He didn't play in the fourth quarter. Lou Aldang led everybody with minutes with 33. They need a couple more of those games down the stretch where mm-hmm. they can – I mean, hey, let's face it. When the Bulls were great and winning championships, the two most important legs, sets of legs on those teams are Jordan and Pippen. And they would – Make sure they blew people out and then sit out the fourth quarter. Didn't it feel like once every other week that the Jordan and Pippen didn't even play the fourth quarter in the six championship years, Coach? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that there's something to be said about that. Because not only do I want the Bulls to win the championship this year, I want them to win it like six times over the next 12. So every time Derrick Rose can sit on the bench, it helps the Bulls a little bit closer to be in the dynasty. Probably. And it gives everybody else some tick, too. The only, I mean, I can't think of any other criticism for Tom Thibodeau, the rookie coach, who might be the coach of the year. The only criticism has been he tends to play as starters too many minutes, big dog. And, uh, well, well this... how about this? How about, uh, and you were right, but I don't think it's like that anymore. Let's, let's give, uh, uh, Thibodeau a thumbs up to say he's learning from his mistakes. He's making sure these guys are getting rest the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. He really has done a great job of that. Well, easy to do when you're winning by 38 over Sacramento. The true test is, uh, how much do you trust your bench in a close game when you're taking on, like tonight, at Atlanta against the Atlanta Hawks? So I think that'll well, be the – it's a matter of trust, Big Doug. Do you trust your bench in tight games to uh, keep you in the game, maybe even increase your lead in the Bulls? Do have a good bench at times. Tom Thibodeau's a little bit afraid to use them. Well, uh, let's face it. When If you can play – Fire the guy. Ashik, if you can play Ashik, Gibson, Brewer, uh, with C.J. Watson and Kyle Korver – Yep. That is the best back. That's the best second five in the NBA right now. So I think he should do it a little bit more often. Mm-hmm. 
And then Kirk Thomas and Brian Scalabrini are your 11 and 12. Obviously, we know Scalabrini is more of a 14. But I mean, that's, they're awfully deep. They're awfully deep, Coach. If you can, if Kirk Thomas is your 11th player on your roster. Mm-hmm. so. And by the way, the guy they say should not be starting, and, you know, Ronnie Brewer should be starting or someone ahead of him, Keith Bogans, a couple of games ago, had an 18-point game. I think he was off last game, but uh, yesterday in the win over Sacramento, 15 more points for Keith Bogans. Let's not even look at stats from yesterday, Coach. Who really cares about Eight, those? Well, one, but just to add to your uh, depth, um, receptacle that you're throwing at us. Yeah. Eight different player, eight different players and double figures. Big dog. That is a recipe for victory, uh, for really for basketball at any level. Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, I don't know what the exact number was, but I do know at one point because the the Bulls forced 16 turnovers, but when they had forced 10 turnovers at that point of the game, they had 19 points off 10 turnovers. Mm-hmm. That that'll win you a couple games. Okay, basically you can, you turn 10 of the other team's possessions into 19 points for yourself. That you're not going to lose. You're going to win 99% of the time when you do that. And by the way, they had uh, they had six more turnovers after that particular part of the game. So, and I'm pretty sure they had a couple dunks off turnovers. So they had over 20 points off turnovers yesterday. Boston the Bulls tied for first place in the Eastern Conference for the uh Seedings at any rate, then Miami and Orlando, and then after the Big Four, you drop down to Atlanta, Philadelphia, the Knicks, who are sinking rapidly, Big Dog. They've been struggling of late. Indiana Pacers are hanging on. The Bucks and Charlotte are trying to uh, battle their way into the playoffs. You look at Milwaukee's record, 28 wins, 41 losses. You could be 10 games under five hundred and still, at this point, have a shot of making the playoffs. I don't know if that's a good thing in the NBA or a bad thing, but it's reality. 13 games under five hundred. And they're only a couple of games out of the playoffs. Well, there's there's 30 teams, 14 teams don't make it, uh, which basically means you typically you're going to have two teams in the NBA be under 500. You know, it's, it doesn't mean that it's poor play because you have to admit, coach, the top eight teams in the league right now that could win a, a world uh, championship. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can say there's only six of them, but those teams are really good, really, really good. The, the Celtics, Spurs, Bulls, Heat, Lakers, uh, the what do you call it? The, the Mavericks. Those yep. six teams are really good basketball teams. I think the the Magic and the Oklahoma City Thunder would be the two. Those maybe are the seven maybe, and eight teams. Yep, yeah. those are the exact two teams that I put on the outskirts. Like it would mm-hmm. be a big upset if they won the title this year, mm-hmm. but they still could win it. Yep, San Antonio leading the Western Conference. They had an unbelievable start. Lakers are seven back. Dallas eight back. Oklahoma City. Dangerous team. The Denver Nuggets, you got to love them, Big Doug. They're sitting in the fifth spot in the West. Traded away Carmelo Anthony. They continue to play good basketball. Love that story. You know what team is missing? Nowhere to be seen in the Western Conference hunt for the first time since you uh, had hair about a decade ago, and that is the, the Utah U- Jazz. The Utah Jazz are nowhere to be seen. Moment of silence for our good friends in Utah. What happened to them, Big Doug? Well, they decided to fire Jerry Sloan and then trade Darren Williams. And afterwards, Darren Williams and Jerry Sloan were both like, we never had a problem with each other. <laughs> well, neither one's left in Utah, so there you go, Utah. You, 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 uh, we're we're going to fire Jerry Sloan because Darren Williams can't get along with him. And then you find out later that the only thing that ever happened was Darren Williams asked Jerry Sloan for tougher practices. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why he got traded. A player goes to the coach and says, we need tougher practices. We need to watch more film. So they fire the coach and trade the player. That made no sense to me whatsoever. I would be, 
I would, as a GM, would do whatever I possibly could to get a point guard that said stuff like that to my mm-hmm. coach. Not so just a coach. In the jazz, jazz not just a coach and a player, but a, a Hall of Fame coach and a future Hall of Fame player. Uh-huh. The very essence of your franchise, you get rid of both of those guys, and then it turns out that actually the two of them weren't that far apart to begin with. Yeah, Oops. exactly. Bad move. Exactly. Bad move. Let's check. What's, what's Utah's record? A 30, see, now, look how much stronger the West is and the East. They're 36 and 35. Game over 500, and they stand zero chance of making the playoffs. But meanwhile, you got a team like the Milwaukee Bucks and the Charlotte Hornets slash Bobcats. I keep forgetting which one they are. Both those teams are, are over 10 games under 500, Big Dog, and they still got a chance to make the playoffs. The West, still stronger than the East, at least depth-wise. You think so? I, I, well, I mean, that stat's pretty yeah, telling. I'll give you that. I'll give you that depth-wise. But when you talk to the top five teams, the East is yeah. going to take a backseat to anybody in the West. Yeah, at the top, you are right. Memphis, for instance, is the number five or number um... – no, I'm sorry. Memphis is the eighth seed. Wow, the Marcus Saul, by the way, is pretty freaking good. By the way, Memphis yeah. is a lot better than any of us thought. Yeah, Zach gonna... Randolph can score. Rudy Gay, they're uh, thirty nine and thirty two. They're a good team. Yeah, they're they the, are. They're, the, they're hanging on for a playoff spot. But you go over to the eighth seed in the East, Indiana. They're okay, but what's Indiana's record? Let's see, thirty one and forty. Well five hundred. Nine games below five hundred, so there is yeah. a significant difference depth wise, not at the top, but depth wise between the West and the East. I mean, significant. Yeah, there, there's a difference. There's there's no doubt about that, Coach. Mm-hmm. But it, it, do you remember ten years ago, where legitimately whoever won the East would have had a hard time making the playoffs in the West? Yep. And then and then the Lakers or the Spurs would just sweep the team out of the West. I mean, out of the East. It was really bad. I don't think I've ever seen a uh, conference more or less competitive with another conference in the history of American sports as the Eastern Conference was after Jordan retired mm-hmm. compared to the Western Conference. For like, not like three or four years, Coach. It was like, it's still to this day, but it's like it's the East is catching up every single year. Remember the old theory, and again, any NBA fans out there, a rare brief moment in time, we talk some NBA basketball here on the two guys at a Mike Show, Big Dog, and a Coach at your service. Phone lines open 888-463-6748. Dial it up, user-friendly sports talk radio. Remember the old days, Big Dog, where the theory was that all oh, the West Coast teams will just beat each other up in the playoffs, and then the East champion will have a chance to knock off the West team. It sounded so good in theory, but it never came to fruition. It, all, it only happened with uh, Detroit. <laughs> it was only Detroit who did it in 04, because if you think about it, the Lakers and Spurs won every single championship besides the Heat in 06 and the, and the Pistons in 04. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're right. And if you look at those teams, the Heat, caught, uh, the Heat were just good with Shaq and, and Dwayne Wade. But it, they had to take a player off the, the best team in the West, uh, the Lakers and Shaquille O'Neal, in order to weaken the Lakers and the Pistons, I think, was just one of those years where the Lakers were too talented and not enough chemistry. And then the basketball gods just wanted to make sure that the Pistons, who were total teamwork and effort, beat all the star, the star-laden Laker team coach. Mm-hmm. All right, ten games left for some teams. Fifteen games anywhere in that range right now. The NBA season winding down. Still some interesting battles for the races. But come April, big dogs can be a lot of fun watching the. Uh, playoffs we get done with march madness we find out who your champion is going to be and then we can really start focusing on the nba playoffs course here in chicago the interest 
has not been uh, so high since a couple of players left the Bulls. I believe their names were Jordan and Pippen. But uh, and, and coach, I just want to throw this out there as a Chicago Bulls fan, and you know my whole goal is the, the Bulls to win the title this year. And, and sometimes you know what's important is winning regular season games, the effort is all that other stuff. Because remember back like late in the seasons with Jordan Pippen, they would take the uh, the gas off the pedal for a while. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And kind of revamp their legs up for the playoffs. And it would even cost them some games. It never cost the Bulls a spot in the standings. But for these Bulls, they can't take the the gas off the pedal at all. And I think they really have to put every ounce of effort to make sure they get the number one seed. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this team is one of those teams that can put the gas on the pedal and take it off and, you know, and learn how to play that way just yet. Well, Hopefully it, it, a couple of years from now we'll be able to say, hey, take it easy at the last couple of weeks. But they're not at that point yet as, a, as an organization. What you're talking about is almost uh, very similar to what a, the swim coaches or the distance running coaches will use. And that is in the preseason workouts and early in the season, they really increase the miles and the, the length and time and conditioning that the swimmers and the runners do. They work them hard. They build them up. They build them up. They push, build them up. They push. But then about a week or two weeks before the conference meet and the state meet, or a national, you know, collegiate tournament, if it's, uh, you talk at NCAA, they will do a thing called tapering off, big dog, and they will actually lessen the load. Let them rest up a little bit so that come time for the big race, they've got their legs. So work them hard in the beginning. That sounds like what NBA teams are doing. And then maybe if you're in a position, ease up a little bit, taper off so that you've got full throttle, full strength for the, uh, playoff run. Yeah, and, and, and let's face it, even though that's what you're judged on in the NBA. Like, le- legitimately, if the Bulls work their butt off and they do get that number one seed over the Celtics by, like, a game, if for some reason the Bulls lose in the second round, they'll be considered having a poor season. They will, Coach. Just say they split now, fall down to the number three seed, but they get to the NBA Finals, they've had a great season. So. Mm-hmm. It really is how you figure your team out so it's in the playoffs doing the best it possibly can. Right, Going to be fun to watch. We'll talk some more NBA basketball. we got baseball going on, too, Big Dog. I mentioned right before you came on this morning, uh, as we, uh, again, introduced you, Reactionary Sports Talk Radio here on the TalkZone.com. In a couple of weeks, my friend, in I don't have the exact date in front of me, but I believe less than two weeks, We'll be uh, traveling out to the ballpark here, throwing the little white pill around. It will be opening day for baseball outside today. It's about 41 degrees, rainy, cold, wet, windy. It feels like opening day, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, you know, this year opening day is not on the Monday of the national title game, Coach. Good. They're throwing us for a loop. I I do not like it. I love the idea of watching uh, 14 (laughs) to 12 day baseball games and when the when that's all done curl up on the couch a little half in the bag and at uh 807 <laughs> p.m uh the tip off of of one of the most underrated games of the year which is the ncaa championship one game. shining moment yeah yeah yes and, and uh, I, I missed it coach i, I like you know the, the the way they had set up television and sports in this country was absolutely fantastically dynamic and I got to tell you something, they must have figured something out that we haven't figured out. So when it finally happens, we'll see if it's good or bad. Well, the like actual, the, it used to be. It the was actual, like a handoff, coach. What's that? It was like a handoff. College basketball mm-hmm. was passing the baton to baseball on April 1st every now, year. So. Now, when you say the opening game, was it the 
opening game. I thought they did that like on Sunday, and then it is a Sunday night. But there's like yeah, there's okay. one opening game on Sunday night, and then, and then Monday, all, then all yeah. the, the 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 regular openers on mm-hmm. Monday, and then on Monday night, the only thing going on in the world usually was the NCAA championship game. If you noticed, the Bulls have a back to back. Yesterday and today, right? Well, you know why they play two games? Everybody else in the NBA is playing two games because they play as few as they possibly can on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday during Smart. the tournament because everybody knows sure. nobody's watching uh, mm-hmm. uh, NBA basketball when the tournament's on. Yeah, smart. Uh huh. Smart scheduling. So, Interesting. so what, what is Major League Baseball doing then? They're going to op- have all their opening games on Tuesday? No, 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 no. They're doing it like on a, on a Thursday. And l- let me get the dates down right, Coach. What is today's date? It's the 20... 22nd, I believe. Okay, so it's the second day of spring. Oh, it's gorgeous! I didn't know why it was so beautiful. It's yeah. the second day of spring. By the way, if you okay. remember to turn your clocks back or spring spring ahead, I did, Coach. Very and good. I got to tell you, some that morning was one of the shortest mornings of <laughs> my entire life. I don't really want to get it involved in that. Uh, so, but <laughs> baseball starts March first, I believe, this year. Okay, so April first. April first. That's what I meant. Um, let me think. So th- this Sunday was the twentieth. So it's the 27th. It's so it'll probably be a week from this Sunday. It will be yeah, opening so day. What's going to happen is it does start the Thursday before the Monday of the national title game. You see what, what's what I'm talking about here, Coach? Okay, well, that would be starting a lot earlier than earlier, they have yeah. in the past. Yeah, it is. It's starting okay. four days earlier than they normally would. So does, that okay. mean that, oh. does that mean that Wednesday will be the Cincinnati Red Stockings and their traditional opener taking on uh, whoever they might play? Uh, or the, I think the Cubs start on a Friday, so I'm pretty sure that okay. the Cincinnati Red Stockings will be starting on that Thursday. Okay. Big fan of the Cincinnati Red Stockings, by the way. I think they're going to be awful good this year. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, you, you grew I up, re- but- hear a rumor, by the way, uh, people are telling me that Johnny Cueto, the fine pitcher for the Cincinnati Red Stockings, might have an injury as well? Uh, Johnny Cueto always has an injury, Coach. <laughs> no, he really does. That guy, he is the Reds version of Kerry Wood. Okay, the guy's gutty. He'll go out there hurt, but and like three or four times a year, he pitches a game that is mind-bogglingly like it's as great as any pitcher can throw the ball. Mm-hmm. And then his other twenty games, he has to leave in the third inning because his arm hurt. He's an enigma. He's a riddle wrapped up inside a puzzle. Coach he's Johnny, Johnny Cueto. Cueto. He's Johnny Cueto. You know, uh, I, I picked him up a couple years ago in fantasy. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, "Who's Johnny Cueto?" Had the greatest start of any pitcher ever. I mm-hmm. traded him, and the next thing I know, everybody has hated me for that since, because ever since that, he's had a bad arm. How about so. uh, uh, Araldus Chapman for the Cincinnati Red Stockings? Would you consider drafting him in your fantasy pick? Okay, well, uh, to be honest with you, I'll have him on my real team any day, but unless you have holds in your league, no reason to get an Araldus Chapman, because mm-hmm. uh, he's not going to get any saves for you. But, oh, my goodness, Coach, have you seen him throw the ball? You got to watch uh, MLB Network has something called Thirty for Thirty. It's thirty different teams, thirty different days. You got to mm-hmm. watch it just for two words: Hazel May. <laughs> oh my God! Okay, but besides Hazel May, who uh, I've uh, oh my God, I've never heard you a think, Korean girl knew so much about baseball. I'm not kidding, her, coach. Is that, not a, fake. is that a real name, or did they create that for uh, ESPN TV? Uh, I'm going to say it's created because, okay. to be quite honest with you, I look at the girl and she's too perfect. Do you know what I mean? It's like when I, I like my girlfriend was over one day. And I'm like, look at this girl. She's an alien. She didn't get what I was talking about. It doesn't make sense. This girl knows as much about baseball as I do. I swear to you, she does. And the way she looks, she's like four foot four, but like about ninety two pounds, and she's got triple D's. Okay, it doesn't. It, the girl is an alien, coach. 
Okay, and her name is Hazel May. Sounds but, like uh, she, was she was created especially for you, Big Dub. Yeah, they were like, well, who's the only idiot that watches MLB Network in December? They're like that Redwanski fool. What, what do you think he'll like? Well, he likes alien-looking Asian girls. So that's exactly what was sent in for me. I appreciated the MLB <laughs> Network. So, you know, instead of 150 hours a month, now I'm watching you 151 hours a month. Beautiful. But uh, she was that guy threw 105, Coach. A left-hander throwing 105 miles an hour with movement. Like, the ball goes so fast. Normally when you throw it as hard as you possibly can, that means the straighter the ball is going to go. With this guy, he's throwing it so hard that the ball has to move because it's, there's so much spin on the ball. So he could end up being one of the great relievers in the history of the game of baseball, or he could be a total bust. We'll find out. But I, For a while, were they not trying to make him a starting pitcher? Yeah, they were, and then I think they realized that okay. every time you know, he threw more than 20 pitches, his arm hung to the ground for about five days. So, okay. so you know, Aldis Chapman, is he the... The designated closer for uh, our Cincinnati Red Stockings this year? No, uh, uh, Cordero. Frankie Cordero is going to ah. be the Red's closer again this okay. year. But there's, no, there's nothing wrong with it. Seriously, the Yankees paid some dude $35 million over the next three years to be their eighth inning guy. Okay, so obviously the Yankees have a little bit more money than a typical team, but the seventh and eighth innings are just a little bit less important than the ninth inning, Coach. Just mm-hmm. only a little bit less, so... Mm-hmm. All right, 888-463-6748. The phone number locally here, spring training-wise, Big Dog Jake Pivia and Ozzie Guillen, the White Sox manager and the White Sox star pitcher, but getting into it a little bit, and a lot of it has to do with uh, Jake Peavy pushing himself. Ozzie Guillen saying, hey, be smart. We need you for the season. A little bit of conflict between those two. Problems or not, what do you see for Jake Peavy this year for the beloved? Um, that, that's It's so hard, Coach, because I've never heard of a pitcher coming back from what he's had because nobody's ever had it. Uh, I'm really hoping he can uh, give that club uh, a quality 150 innings this year because if he can, the White Sox can contend for the American League Championship. Seriously. Mm-hmm. 150 um, good innings. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm not just saying yeah, yeah. get crushed out there. Absolutely. You know I'm not saying that because right before the injury happened, I don't know how long, David Olson will probably give you a better track on this, but for about five games, he was the best pitcher in baseball. The last the last five outings he had, he was as good as any pitcher in the game of baseball last year. That, that's no joke. He started out getting destroyed. You look at his numbers, you think I was crazy. But if you look at his last five starts, I know like he had two starts in a row where he gave up like two runners and no runs right before the the – his Letitius Dorsey was uh, ripped from the bone last year. So uh, it's not an arm injury, but, you know, he's he hit a wall, and his arm wasn't feeling right, so uh, Guillen shut him down. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you, you know, sometimes you got to make these guys throw to get them right, but I don't know what to do, but he is a key to the Chicago White Sox because John Danks is a really good number two pitcher. Mark Burley is a number one, but he's more of a number two in the playoff type pitcher. Gavin Floyd is a really good three, and he's no higher than a than a four when you're talking playoffs. They they need Edwin Jackson and Jake Peavy to be healthy because both of those guys could be number one playoff starters. Mm-hmm. And I'm not ripping Burley by saying he's a number two in the playoffs. Let, let, let's face it. He pitches the contact. He's a quality pitcher and all that, but it's, it's Jake Peavy going up against Roy Halladay in the playoffs, 
the, the White Sox are going to be huge underdogs in those games. But if Jake Peavy or Edwin Jackson are at the top of their game, when Edwin Jackson, if he gets himself right, Coach, he could be one of the top five pitchers in the game. So when you brought up Jake Peavy, I agree with you, but I think mm-hmm. Edwin Jackson is the is the like that's like the blackjack. He's the X factor, uh, without a doubt, because yep. either he's going to go, he might, he's probably going to go ten and eleven with a four twelve ERA for the White Sox this year, or if he finally has a whole entire season instead of half a season, if he has mm-hmm. one of those years, like two eighty five ERA with like seventeen wins and uh, a ten strikeouts per nine innings, right? You know, he he could be a number one starter in the MLB period. He really can, coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he is the X factor. You can go a lot of ways, risk reward with Edwin Jackson. Best and description. Said he's of... got him right. Well, remember when they traded for him? Cooper was like, "I know exactly what's wrong with him, and it's a minor adjustment. The guy's going to dominate." That was like the first thing he said about Edwin Jackson, and I was yeah. like, "Wow!" And he and he did. Yeah, so... for the White Sox. We'll see if he can do it for a whole season. But the best way I can describe what you're talking about with how one guy can make a difference. Uh, it's almost like a, a great point guard elevating the rest of his team. Not exactly the same thing, but here's the description. If Burley is your one, John Danks is your two, Floyd is your three, Edwin Jackson that is your four. It's not bad, but that's probably a middle-of-the-road American League team. You're going to finish well, around and, 500. And All with of the a White sudden, Sox lineup, with the White Sox lineup, it's, it's a decent it's, pitching yeah, staff it's okay. that you could win a division with. But all of a sudden, if you just bring one guy into it, and you put PV at the top. Now, all of a sudden, Burley's your two. Danks is your three, one of the better threes in baseball. Gavin Floyd, your four, one of the best. Edwin Jackson's a five. All of a sudden, big up one guy. And now that's a, that's a starting pitching staff that could win yourself a pennant. You, you know, uh, the, the other day, uh, I'm in the car and they're like, oh yeah, and Jake PV turns 28. I was like, Jake PV's 28? Yeah, you thought he was probably like 32. Yeah, I did. I thought if you would have asked me, I would have thought I yeah. would have said it. That's exactly what I said. I was like, I thought yeah. he was in his, you know, in his thirties. He's you know, twenty-eight. His, was, his latissimus dorsi looks like it's about forty-eight. Well, it, it was only four years ago, two thousand and seven, when he won the triple crown as the Cy Young Award winner for the Padres people. Okay, it was that wasn't that long ago. Four years. What is ago, the so. triple crown? Wins, ERA, and strikeouts. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Coach. Wow. So. I mean, there's a potential that the, the if this guy really is healthy, because remember, it's a back issue, not an arm issue, that if he gets himself right, wow, if they have a legitimate number one in PV, and if they have a legitimate number one in Edwin Jackson, who I, I believe he was like the third player drafted overall in whatever draft the Rays took him in mm-hmm. way back in the day. If, if Burley's your three and Dinks is your four and Floyd is your five coach, that's what the White Sox are hoping. Because there's a potential for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's no potential that says Danks is one and Gavin Floyd is two. So let's let's be realistic with mm-hmm. this. That's John Danks at the best is going to be a very solid 15 game winner consistently in Major League Baseball. That's what you're hoping out of John Danks. Okay, you're hoping maybe he could be Mark Burley light. You're you're not going to get anything higher than that out of the kid. I really don't think so. And that's not ripping the kid because I would take him on the Chicago Cubs immediately, Coach. But if you're talking world championship, 
it's going to have to be Edwin Jackson and Jake Peavy that get the White Sox there to win the World Series this year. Just, quite simply. Just a little bit of a teaser, a little bit of an appetizer, the kind of baseball analysis that uh, the big dog will be giving you during the season, folks. We're still a couple of weeks away, but it is upon the horizon. Big dog, real quick, before I forget, producer extraordinaire David Olson will be off for a couple of days. Any um, words of consultation, words of advice for Mr. Olson as he takes a few days off? of the pain of putting up with us on a regular basis. Enjoy the solitude of not having to listen to one, the professor, the coach, John Cohn. Any, you think Dave will take any tapes with him on vacation or wherever he's going? I don't know if he's well, no, his, his wife takes them with just in case he gets out of line. Oh, so as a, as a punishment, he might have to listen to us. Yes. And the, he has to put the collar on with the headphones. So just in case you might, it might, it might end up being one of those shows where I didn't watch any basketball over the weekend and all you want to do is talk basketball. And my responses are like, yep, or I don't know. Oh, he loves those shows. Hey, if, by the way, have you seen the end of Butler Pitt yet? Have not yet, Coach. Oh, please watch that. we got to talk about we got two things for tomorrow. Your analysis okay. of the foul call on Butler and Pitt, and I will look up James Harrison and Joe Cribbs and uh, recreate that memory from six months ago that I apparently have no vision of. Okay, uh... Joshua Cribs, by the way. Oh, not Joe Cribs, but Joshua Cribs. Yeah, and I don't think Joshua Cribs is related to Joe Cribs, but you would think so because Joe Cribs, one of the most underrated running backs ever. Love Joe Cribs, the old Buffalo uh, Bill, right? The last player to average over five yards a carry with a legitimate afro, like the big <laughs> afro coach. <laughs> I didn't know they kept stats on that, but apparently they did. I do. I do. All right. Big dog, I'd like, I'd like to say it's been a pleasure. Go ahead and say it. Ah, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Start getting into some basketball preview of the Sweet 16 coming up. And uh, got a couple other topics to get into, too. And we'll review our two plays we were talking about as well. David Olson, producer extraordinaire. Great job. We'll see you in a couple of days. Enjoy the time off. Everybody out there, we thank you so much for listening. It's the TalkZone.com. Two guys at a mic back at you at 10 a.m. Central Time tomorrow. Don't be late. Have a great day, everybody.